Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Over the last three years that we have been a church, God has done some absolutely incredible things. That every single week we see people come in and meet Jesus. Every single week we see new people. Every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday. Every single week people come in, they get connected in the life of the church, they join a serve team, they join a community group, they repent of sin, get filled with the Holy Spirit. Every single week God does amazing things here at Redemption. Over the last three years, we have had the opportunity to celebrate 90 people being baptized in our church. 90 people in three years as a church. And if you just think about it, on a good Sunday, we'll run about 300. That means, that means roughly one-third of the people in attendance at our church have actually become Christians here at our church. And that is amazing. And every time somebody gives their life to Jesus, I get excited. Every time somebody joins a group, gets on a team, I get fired up. And every time someone goes public with their faith through baptism, it is the best day. And I love hearing everybody's stories. When I think about it, there's one story that really stands out to me more than all the others. Now, it's not because I don't love all 90 of the people who got baptized, but this one is just, it's special, it's unique, and it it really tells of just, just how miraculous God is when he saves people. And that's my friend, Kayla. If you guys would throw the picture of Kayla up on the screen, this is my friend, Kayla, and this is a picture from her at her baptism. Just look how excited she is on the day of her baptism. And, and here's what Kayla's kind of told me. Kayla, as she came to redemption, before that, she wasn't really connected in the church. Her parents were vaguely spiritual, but she really had no interest in faith. And Kayla, at this point in her life, she was in a very dark place. She was in a very difficult place. She had anxiety and depression. She'd made some bad life decisions. She was dating a hardcore atheist boyfriend, and she wanted nothing to do with God. And then, and then her friends were like, hey, you should probably go to church. You should probably find Jesus, because he's the only one who's going to be able to help you where you're at. And so she thought, okay, well, I'll give that a shot. Well, she had seen a, a Facebook you know, post or somebody had shared something about Redemption Church. And so she thought, okay, there's this new church in Beaumont. And so I guess that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. And then Kayla, she, she came to church. And I still remember the first Sunday that Kayla came because it was Easter Sunday, August 2017. I remember that day because that's the day the owner of the bar didn't show up to open up the doors. Okay, if you're, if you're new here, we're, we're a church plant. We actually started our church in a bar here downtown, and it was Easter Sunday. And on that day, they didn't show up to open the doors. And I called the guy, and I was like, hey, um, where are you at? It's Easter. We need to get into this building. And he was like, I figured you guys were going to take the day off. I was like, what, what do you mean? He's like, well, it's Easter. It's a holiday. And I was like, hey, it's our holiday. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but Easter's kind of a big deal for Christians. Get down here, open up the door. And eventually he showed up and he, he opened up the door and we were able to have church as usual. We would set up, we would tear down all the music, all the lights, all the parking. And so we, we had church as usual. But that Sunday was Kayla's very first Sunday at church. And, and Kayla, she was actually late. Okay, she, she was late and she had to sit on the front row. Okay, and that, that's the reason why we show up on time, amen? Because if you're late, you sit on the front row. The only two people who sit on the front row is the Holy Ghost and late people. That's it. And so Kayla, she came forward and she sat on the front row. And what was really interesting is that, you know, after worship and sermon and everything, she came back the next week. And then she came back the next week, and then she came back the next week, and then she filled out a connect card, she got on a serve team, she joined a community group, and after uh, several months, Kayla signed up to be baptized, because Kayla, she, she became a Christian. And so on that day, we got to celebrate Kayla being baptized. And as I got to know her and listened to a little bit more of her story, what really stands out is the way that God was working behind the scenes in her life to bring her to this point. 
She said, Byron, here's what you, you don't know, is that that Sunday, the reason I was late is because I was sitting out in my car and I was crying. I was bawling my eyes out because I didn't feel like I belonged in church. I feel like I had done so much and I never read my Bible. I'd never been to church and, and haven't prayed. And so I just thought, I don't belong here. I don't know anyone here. I don't feel like I'm going to be welcomed here. And the anxiety and the depression was welling up inside of her. And then she prayed this prayer and she says, God, I don't even know who Jesus is. And she sat there in her car crying. I don't know who Jesus is. Could you just tell me who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And she composed herself. And then she got out of the car. She came in. She sat down. We sang a few songs. And when it came time for the sermon that day, I stood up here in the pulpit. And I said, first words out of my mouth, who is Jesus? That is the most important question you will ever ask yourself in your life. Who is Jesus? And some of you have been asking that question this very day. And she's like, how did you know that? Is there like a hidden camera? I'm on a game show. Did I have a microphone? How did you know that that's the same question that I was asking and that I would be there on that day? And I said, "Uh, I didn't know, but God knew. And God knew exactly where you were at and what you needed. And God, he did all of that just for you. See, Easter Sunday for Christians is a big day. But I wholeheartedly believe that that day was just for her. Does God love us all? Yes. But he also loves the one. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. The sermon title today is called Life Changed Through Jesus for the One. And here's what's so interesting is last week we saw life change through Jesus for the church, where the Holy Spirit came and then 3,000 people were saved and baptized in a single day. 3,000 people, that's amazing. Last week was life change for the church, but this week, only one. And what this tells us is that God loves us all, but he especially loves the one. That God loves us collectively, but he also loves us individually. That God loves us corporately, but he also loves us personally. That God can do it for everyone, but he also wants to do it for just the one. And we're going to see a story very similar to Kayla's and how God was working behind the scenes doing all of this just for one single person. And so if you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, life changed through Jesus for the one. And if you're taking notes, here's here's my outline. We're going to see four things. We're going to see the evangelist. We're going to see the eunuch. We're going to see the exposition. And we're going to look at the excitement. How many of you get excited when people experience life change through Jesus? How many of you get excited whenever people meet the Lord? How many of you get excited when you see someone you know or someone you love go public with their faith through baptism. How many of you know that the good news is exciting news? Amen? Amen. Well, if you're not excited, maybe you will be by the end. So Acts chapter 8, starting verse 26, the first thing we're going to see is we're going to meet We're going to meet a man named Philip, who is the evangelist, now an angel of the Lord. There's a lot of angels in the book of Acts. We saw one last week. We get one this week. Here's what an angel is. An angel is a messenger of the Lord. An angel is a servant of the Lord that is from heaven, that is without soul or spirit, but it's it's one that God sends to be able to minister to his people. So God sends an angel to a man named Philip, and he says, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. Right now we're in a series called Life Change Through Jesus. And we're taking a look at four stories of people who experience life change. And we're kind of focusing in on the book of Acts. Now, I don't have enough time to teach the entire book of Acts, but it is one of my favorite books. And I'm praying for the day where I actually get to teach this series. And here's the reason why I love Acts and I want you to go home and read it. It's because it really gives us a template, a model, a guide, and it shows us not only what Jesus has done, but what I believe Jesus wants to continue to do in his church. And last week, as we saw the church explode with its birth and growth, it says in the end, in Acts chapter two, that the Lord continued to add to their number day by day, those who were being saved. One of those men who was being saved day by day is a guy named Philip. Okay, that's the man we meet here. And so he, he gets saved, he meets Jesus, and then it tells us that he, he became an evangelist. 
So in church history and through the rest of the Bible, it refers to this man, Philip, as Philip the Evangelist. Now, that's not his last name. That's actually just a nickname. He gets a nickname. How amazing is that? Right? You get a nickname. That would be like saying, you know, Cruz the Slides Guy. That would be like saying Clinton Debbie the Greeters. That would be like saying, you know, uh, um, Kevin and Parking. That would be like saying Ethan and the Water Bottle. He, he, he got a nickname. How incredible is that? He, he, got a, he got a nickname. Why? Because he was the evangelist. And here's what we do when we typically read the Bible. As we read through the Bible, we tend to gravitate towards the leaders, we tend to read it and think about the original disciples, and we think, wow, what would it be like to be that original disciple, Peter, James, John, they're incredible. We think about apostles like the apostle Paul. We're like, wow, that must be amazing to be like the apostle Paul. We even read about missionaries like Barnabas and Silas. We think about pastors and teachers like Timothy and Titus, and we think that must be what it means to be used of God. That must be what it means to be a, a man or a woman of God. I need to be like them. But then we read a man like Philip. Philip, he was not a leader in the church. Philip, he was not a pastor. He was not a preacher. He was not a teacher. He was not an apostle. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't an original disciple. He was just one person who met Jesus through the church. And God is going to use this one person in some amazing ways. And Philip here, he becomes an evangelist. Now, let me, let me say this. Okay, when we think about evangelism, typically what we think about is two things. We think about some guy on a stage wearing a white suit with a crowd of people around him, and he's telling stories of mighty miracles, and it's an evangelistic crusade, and then he never opens to the Bible, but then he preaches, and then everybody gets slain in the spirit and falls down and flops like a fish. That must be what it must be like to be an evangelist. Okay, big, huge crusades, stadiums filled with people. But that's not what we see here today. And also, some of us, we have this idea of an evangelist to where that's a person who went through the training seminars, they learned the you know, proper steps to, 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 to share their faith with other people, and they go door to door, and they say, are you 100% sure that if you died tonight, then you would go to heaven? Want to meet Jesus? We think that's what it means to be an evangelist, but that's not what the Bible says an evangelist is either. Here's what the Bible shows us evangelism is, that you meet Jesus, and you want other people to meet him as well. That's all evangelism is, that you meet Jesus and you want other people to meet him too. If you know who Jesus is, you help others get to know him. If you love Jesus, you want everyone you know and love to come and to know and love Jesus. That's all evangelism is, that you meet Jesus and then you help other people meet him too. Let's just think about it like this. Okay, how many of you have ever met somebody who does CrossFit? Ever met somebody that's CrossFit? How do you know they do CrossFit? Because their Instagram feed is filled with them flipping tires. So you're like, oh yeah, they, they, know, they, they, do, they do CrossFit. Look at them. They're better than the rest of us. How many of you ever met somebody who was a vegan? Ever met a vegan? Do you know how somebody's, you know somebody's a vegan? Because it's the first thing they tell you. They're like, hi, my name's Melissa. I'm a vegan. You're like, thanks, Melissa. Go eat your kale. Like, that's, that, 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 that's how we know. Now, listen. Now, listen. If they can get so excited about flipping tires, how much more should we be excited about Jesus? If they can get so excited about eating quinoa bowls, then how much more excited should we get about Jesus? All they're doing is being an evangelist. And we hear that and we think, well, I don't want to share my faith because I don't want to impose on other people. I don't want to talk about Jesus because I don't want it to be, you know, difficult. And, you know, I just don't feel like it's the right thing to do for me to go and interrupt somebody else's day and worldview and religion and opinion. And I just don't really feel like it. But how much better is what we have? How much better is it that the good news that we've received, how much better? Flipping tires is great. Jesus is better. Kale is good. Okay, Jesus is better. How much more should we be bold in our invites, bold in our sharing, bold in our faith for us to go out and say, we have the best thing, that sin has been defeated, that the grave is empty, that Jesus is alive and sins are forgiven, and I've experienced life change through Jesus. Jesus, and I know he can do the same thing for you because life change is real, life change is possible, and life change is available. That's all it means for you to be an evangelist, that you meet Jesus and you want other people to meet him as well. 
I remember several years ago when I was serving at a church, there was a young woman in the church and she, she came up to me and she was really embarrassed and we were doing a series very similar to this, encouraging people to be in evangelism and discipleship. It was a vision series and she came up to me and she said, Pastor Byron, I've been in church my entire life. I was raised in the church, good little Baptist church and you know what, I, I have never shared my faith with someone else. I've never invited somebody to church. And she told me that she had never led anyone to Christ. And I just thought, how is it possible for you to sit in church your entire life and never lead one person to Jesus? How, how, how did this happen? And here's what she told me. She said, well, pastor, I always figured that was your job. I always figured that was the church's job. That my job was to show up and it was your job to make sure people got saved. I just thought it was your job to do the evangelism. And I said, no. If you're a part of this church, you are the church and it's all of our jobs. That if you meet Jesus, it's now your job to help other people meet him too. See, Philip, he didn't wait for the pastor. He didn't wait for the prophet. He didn't wait for the missionaries. Philip, he met Jesus and he wanted other people to meet him too. That's exactly what it means to be an evangelist. Now, tragically, that young woman, she's not alone. That this week, as I was preparing for this series, I went and did some research, and there's an organization called LifeWay, and they do a transformational church research. It's the leader in church trends and statistics, and here's what they came out with a couple of years ago. Here's what they found. 61% of Christians have not shared their faith in the last six months. 79% of evangelical Christians haven't invited someone to church within the last year. 98% of Christians do not witness to non-believers weekly, and 95% of Christians have never led one person to Christ. 95% of Christians have never led one person to Christ. And that's the whole reason that we're doing this series, because I do not want Redemption Church to be just another statistic. I do not want you to be a line in a LifeWay research article. I believe that by the end of this year, every single person will get to cross their name off that list, and you can say, not me, because I got my one, that this church will be a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus. And that starts with us getting a heart just for the one. How many of you have one person that you know and love that does not know and love Jesus? How many of you have one person that you're praying for, one person that you're believing for, and you have one person that you think that if they would just meet Jesus, if they just knew how great Jesus was, how wonderful Jesus was, if they would just give their life to him, then they could experience the same thing that I did. That's exactly what it means for us to be like Philip the evangelist. See, God doesn't just use pastors, God uses people. God doesn't just use apostles and the prophets or the, 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 the leaders, God uses all people. If you meet Jesus, then it's your job to help other people meet him too. That's what it means for us to be an evangelist. So we meet this guy, his name's Philip. He's just a normal, ordinary guy, minding his own business, loving Jesus, serving the church, and then all of a sudden, he gets an angel. The angel shows up and says, hey, Philip, I got, a, I got a job for you. I got something that I want you to do. And Philip's like, oh, hey, angel, great to meet you. What do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Now, here's what's so interesting is, is that Philip, he doesn't argue. It says he rose and he went. Do you love that? He, he didn't argue with the angel. He's like, mm, angel of the Lord. I would love to go, but today's my day off. I would love to go and do whatever it is that you ask me, but I gotta go buy groceries later, and I'm really tired, I sprained my ankle, I just don't think I can do that today. Maybe come back next week, and, 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 then, and then maybe, possibly, I'll, I'll be able to, to do what you say. He doesn't do that, he doesn't make excuses, he doesn't argue, he doesn't debate, what does he do? He rises, and he goes. This is instantaneous obedience on behalf of Philip, because Philip knows that he's got a job to do. He goes and he is gonna be the evangelist. So that introduces us to the next person, to the eunuch. 
Okay, why would God say, hey, go down to the desert, go down to Gaza, go out in the middle of the nowhere on your day off, go there. Why would God do that? Because God had his eye on the one. There's one person that needs to meet Jesus. And so Philip, he goes out of his way. Here's what we see next. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, God says, go and join this chariot. So Philip, he ran to him. Here's Philip. He's like, all right, I'm going to the desert. I'm walking on this road. I'm here all alone. And then all of a sudden, oh, there's there's a chariot coming this way. And what does Philip do? He runs to him. He's like, oh, I'm gonna run over here. I got something I gotta do. And he goes and he obeys the Lord. He he runs to go and meet the Ethiopian eunuch. As a church, we should be the people who run to reach the one. As a church, we should be the people who run just to meet the one. So let me introduce you to this Ethiopian eunuch. It says first he's Ethiopian, which means he's a Gentile. He's he's far from God. Okay, according to Rome and Jewish tradition in that time, Ethiopia was the end of the world. Like that's as far as they knew at the time. So he was as far away from God as you could possibly be. He was from a pagan place. He worked for the queen of Ethiopia, which means she would be like a pagan goddess according to them. So he lived in a pagan place. He worked for a pagan people. And it says that he was the treasurer of the the queen of Ethiopia. That means he's got a really important job, that he oversees all of the finances, all of the money for the entire nation of Ethiopia. This dude, he is loaded, right? If you're thinking about his chariot, just think about it with big rims and black tent windows and two little flags sticking off the front. Like this guy, he is loaded. He's very rich. He's very prestigious. He's very wealthy, successful, powerful. And then it also says that he was a eunuch. And some of you are wondering, what's a eunuch? Great question. I'm not sure you're going to be glad that you asked. How, how, how does somebody become a eunuch? They get castrated. Okay, and this was a part of his job description, right? So just think about it. He's applying for jobs, and, and he says, oh, look, there's a treasury job open. I'm going to apply for that job. Must be good in you know, Microsoft Excel, have good people skills, and be willing to be castrated. Yeah, he's like, sign me up. That's all me right there. I'm cut out for the job, amen? So think about it. You'll get that joke on the way home. <laughs> he's made some unsettling life decisions, to say the least. But here's what we notice. Is he's searching. He's looking. He has questions. He's seeking. He's not, he's not resisting God. He's wanting to, to meet him. Well, how do we know that? Because he's going to Jerusalem to worship. So he travels from Ethiopia all the way to Jerusalem. This is 1,000 mile journey. Could you imagine doing that by a chariot? It could take him weeks, probably months for him to make that journey. He's coming back home from Jerusalem and it says that he's reading his Bible. Now, now don't, don't get lost on this. Reading his Bible is a very big deal. Okay, and here's, here, here's why. It's because they didn't have Bibles back then. Okay, today we could just download the YouVersion Bible, catch a couple of devotionals, maybe get a little ESV journaling Bible, you know, whatever it is. They didn't have Bibles back then. If you wanted to read the Bible, it was handwritten scrolls in Hebrew. He's from Ethiopia. Apparently he knows how to read Hebrew. And it was on these large giant scrolls that were kept in temples. And they would cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And so this man, he goes to Jerusalem and then he actually purchases a scroll and he's on his way back home reading Hebrew by himself in the middle of the desert, sitting in his chariot. What is he doing? He is searching. He is seeking. He is wanting to get to know who God is. And and here's what is so fascinating about this. That as an Ethiopian, he wouldn't have been allowed to worship God because he was a Gentile. As a eunuch, he wouldn't be allowed to go into the temple because he was declared ceremonially unclean. Could you just imagine this man making the thousand mile journey all the way to Jerusalem to go meet with God and to learn about God and then to be turned away and sent back home because he was unworthy? to be turned around and said, nope, you can't come here. 
you're unwelcome because of the decisions that he had made in his past, because of circumstances that were beyond his control, because of things that he had done, he was declared unworthy, unclean, and he was unwelcomed in the church. Some of you today, you find yourself in a place very similar to the eunuch. You know, we're talking about being the evangelist and you're like, hey, here I am the eunuch. I have gone to church and I was rejected. I've known people who said they love Jesus, but they didn't really love Jesus. I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel welcomed. I didn't feel accepted. Hey, I am the eunuch today. That's exactly where Kayla was sitting out in the parking lot. She said, I don't know if I belong here. I don't know if I'm welcomed here. The eunuch felt the same way, the same guilt, the same shame, the same frustration. And if that's you here, here today and you're seeking and asking and wondering, will I be welcomed? I want you to know that our church is a church for the one. That today you are God's one. And guess what God does? He sends Philip to go meet him. Now, is it interesting that God didn't send the angel? Do you think about it? Why didn't God send the angel? I mean, the, the eunuch, he could have been the one who got the angel, right? Why didn't God send the angel? I mean, here's what God can do. In your life, for your friends, God could just snap his fingers and all of a sudden your friends are Christians. He could do that. God could, he could send an angel to your neighbor's house. He, he could do that. But you know what God does? He sends you. He, he doesn't send the angel, he sends Philip. Why? Because life change comes through Jesus, but he loves to use people. The other day when we were carrying groceries into our house, I was unloading everything from the car and Esther, my daughter, she's two years old. She was like, daddy, I want to help. I want to help. And so I thought, okay, well, here you go. Here's a bag of groceries. And so she's carrying these groceries in and she spills them all over the floor. Okay. Now as a dad, what did I do? I, I, I loved her. I helped her pick it up, put it up. It, it slowed me down, but it was worth it because I wanted my daughter to be involved. That's the same reason God chooses you because God wants you to be a part of his work. Life change comes through Jesus, but he loves to use people. How many of you think this would be awkward? It's an awkward conversation, isn't it? This is a little weird. Like this dude's rolling through the middle of the desert. All of a sudden, Philip comes running up to him and he's like, hey, how are you doing? What you up to? Where are you at? How did you get here? How many think this is a little strange? Would you think it's strange to just walk up to somebody that you don't even know? Do you think it's a little uncomfortable for, for, him, for Philip to engage in this conversation. I mean, just, just think about it. They have absolutely nothing in common. One's from Ethiopia, one's from Jerusalem, one loves the Lord, one doesn't know the Lord. The, the eunuch, he's from a different you know, race, ethnicity, skin color. He has a different religion. He has a different upbringing, socioeconomical background, tax bracket. They literally have nothing in common. And then Philip, he goes up and he talks to him. How many of you think this would be a, just a little uncomfortable? God does not care about your comfort as much as he cares about their conversion. God would rather you be uncomfortable and they meet Jesus than for you to be comfortable and for them to not meet Jesus. God is not as concerned about your comfort as much as he is about their conversion. God is not so much concerned about what you do as much as he wants to do in them. And here's the reason why. It's because life change comes through Jesus but he loves to use people just like you. So Philip, he goes up and he starts talking with this Ethiopian eunuch. And what do you think is going to happen next? How, how do you think the story is going to unfold? He runs up to him and he says, hey, what are you doing? And the eunuch says, oh, so glad you're here. I'm just sitting here reading my Bible. And I was really wondering, is there anybody here who can explain this to me? Because I would really like to understand this. And then all of a sudden, poof, you show up. It's amazing. It's a miracle. And so here's, here's what happens next. So the story continues in verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And then he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This would be like if you were to go into Starbucks tomorrow and as you walk in, there's a guy sitting there and he's got his Bible open and he's reading John 3.16 and he's like, I have no clue what this means. I don't even know. I mean, hey, what are you doing? I've been reading this verse. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I don't know what this even means. If only there was a Christian here to explain it to me. And you're like, that, that's me. Like I'm here. Like I, I can do this. This is like this is like this is like low hanging fruit for Philip. Okay, because Isaiah, what he's reading here is Isaiah 52. It is the gospel of the Old Testament. 
That's what they call it. It's the gospel of the Old Testament. I mean, this verse is like the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament. It's the big end zone verse. It is the clearest prophetic picture of the coming of the Lord Jesus as our Messiah and Savior. And he just tees him up, just sets him up for this perfect opportunity. And Philip's like, oh, yeah, I know that one, okay? And so I, I, can, I can help you with this. So here's how the story goes. He sits down and has a little Bible study. He says, like a sheep was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. And in humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life was taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom can I ask you, does this prophet say this? Is it about himself or is it about someone else? Then Philip opened up his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. First, we meet the evangelist. Then we met the eunuch, and now we're going to see the exposition. Okay, if you're new here to redemption, one of our core values is expositional preaching. It's a big fancy college word, but here's what exposition means it means to explain. That when we teach or preach here as a church, all we're doing is explaining the Bible so that way everybody can be able to understand and apply it to their lives. So here, what we like to do is we, we typically preach through, through books. Like today, what I'm doing is I'm taking one section of scripture and then I'm explaining it. I'm not jumping around from section to section and topic to topic. I have one point and then I'm just explaining what the Bible says. That's what expositional preaching means. And that's exactly what we see here. The guy has questions and then Philip gives him an exposition. He just answers his questions using the Bible. And here's what I've discovered is that people really want to know what the Bible says. The other day, I was talking with a guy who'd gone to Next Steps, and I asked him, I said, how did you get connected in the church? What was it about redemption that drew you here? And he says, I really just want to know what the Bible says. And every single week, you get up, and then you just, you just preach the Bible. Okay, it's a novel idea, and it actually is in the Bible. Philip just explains whatever it is that the Bible says, and he, he sits down, and he begins to teach and to explain. Most people, they really want to know, what does the Bible say? How many of you, that, that's, that's, your, that's your story. You just want to know what the Bible says. How many of you, you have a hard time reading the Bible for yourself though? How many of you get a little confused when you're reading the Bible and you're like, there's a lot in here. I have no clue what, what this means. I mean, you know, here we are talking about sacrificing lambs and then there's some priest and then there's a big temple and all of a sudden there's judges. Where did this king come from? This is really confusing, especially the Old Testament, amen? You read it and you're like, uh, I don't really understand. How, how does this get to Jesus? Because the first three quarters of the Bible, he's never even mentioned. Right, it's a little confusing, right? That's the same place that the Ethiopian eunuch was at as well. He's reading this and he's like, I have no clue what this means. And so here's what Philip does. Philip sits down and then he just begins to teach him the Bible. God's word is powerful. God's word is incredible. And God's word, it really does change people's lives. I'm a product of that. 13 years ago, I was sitting in a jail cell after being arrested for the second time. And my grandmother came up to visit, not to bail me out, but just to visit. And then she actually gave me a Bible. She gave me this Bible. This is the same Bible that I preach out of every single week. I had nothing better to do than sit in a jail cell and read the Bible. And you know what? I read the Bible. Shortly after that, I got out, gave my life to Jesus. A couple friends of ours started a Bible study, and I got to see other friends meet Jesus. Never, never, never underestimate what God can do when one person reads God's word. See, Philip, he, he knew the Bible, and so he decided, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll, I'll teach this guy a little bit of the Bible. And here's, here's how he starts. He starts with the scripture, and then he tells him about the good news of Jesus. Whenever we're sharing our faith, when we're telling other people about what God has done, here's what we need to do. We need to give them good news. The good news about the gospel of Jesus Christ. People don't just need good advice. People need good news. Here's what Philip doesn't do. He doesn't say, oh, you're in the middle of a desert. Have you gotten your AC fixed? That's good advice. He doesn't say, oh, you have a very stressful job. 
Okay, have you dusted up on your resume lately? He, he doesn't say, oh, you work for the queen. Could you, could you get me an autograph? That's all good advice. Here's what he doesn't say. You're having a really difficult time. Have you watched Oprah or Dr. Phil? Have you read the latest you know, Jordan Peterson book? Because I heard that that could really help you. He doesn't say, oh, have you taken your Enneagram and started your journey towards self-discovery? You seem like a four, castrations, things that fours might do. That sounds a lot like you. Okay, he, he doesn't do any of that. You know what he does? He gives him good news because good advice might help, but only good news can heal. Good advice might serve you, but only good news can save you. Good advice might change your situation, but only good news can bring you salvation. Good advice might help you live a better life, but the good news of Jesus will help you live a brand new life that you don't have to do, be, say, act, think the way you used to think because then you can experience through the good news of Jesus life change that only comes from him. We don't need good advice. We need good news. The good news is you can change. And that comes through Jesus. And so here's what he does. He starts with the scripture. He opens it up and he says, you see here, whenever it says like a lamb before the slaughter, like a sheep before the shear, he remains silent. That is the sacrificial systems of the Old Testament. That in the old covenant, if you wanted to have your sins forgiven, you would have to make a sacrifice of a pure and spotless lamb or sheep or animal. And through the shedding of the blood, then your sins would be atoned for. And then he says this, that the good news is it's about Jesus, that Jesus is our sacrifice, that Jesus comes, lives a sinless life, dies a painful death in our place, your place for your sins through his shed blood, you have atonement grace, mercy, forgiveness, all of that's been available and applied to you. And the good news is Jesus is our sacrifice. It talks about temples, that you would have to go to a temple in order for you to meet with God. And then Jesus comes, the temple's destroyed because the meeting place of God is with us through Jesus and Jesus is our new temple. You would hear things about priests who they would be the ones who perform the sacrifices for the people, that they were the mediators between God and man. And when you read that, the good news is Jesus is our great high priest, that he's the one who performs the sacrifice. He is the one who is now the mediator between God and man, that we don't have to go to another person. We can go directly to Jesus and we can get saved by God. When you read things about judges, Jesus is our greater judge. When you read things about kings, Jesus comes as our king of kings. When you read things about prophets to preach the truth, lead to repentance, prepare the way, Jesus is the one who is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him because Jesus is our great prophet. When you read about shepherds, Jesus is our great shepherd. When you read about heroes, Jesus is our hero. When you read about warriors, Jesus is our warriors. And when you read about love, Jesus is the one who is love. It all points to Jesus. It's not good advice. This book is all good news. And the good news is, it's all about Jesus. And so when we share our faith, or you're coming here and you're wondering, well, what do I do? How do I experience this life change through Jesus? The answer is, it's not good advice. It's good news. And all we do as a church is just open up the Bible and tell them who Jesus is. That's all you have to do, is just start with the scriptures and give them good news. Philip can do it, and I believe you can do it as well. So this is this is how it works. We see the evangelist, we see the, the eunuch, then we see the exposition. And what do you think is going to happen next? Do you think they're going to be a little excited? Yeah. I bet they're excited. I bet they're, I bet they're really excited. I mean, the evangelist, Philip, he's like, I came all the way down here in the middle of a desert, and then all of a sudden you're here, and I got this great opportunity, and I just taught the Bible and led one person to Christ. I mean, he's like, this is exactly what God said was going to happen. I stepped out in faith. I ran to go meet him, and then, oh, it's amazing. It's incredible. Do you think Philip would be a little excited? I think so. Do you think the eunuch would be excited? You bet. Okay, I mean, the eunuch, he's like, I traveled a thousand miles there. Nobody could help me. And then all of a sudden I'm on the way back in the middle of the desert. And then this dude shows up and he does in three minutes what no one could do in three months. This is a, this is, he's, he's, he's excited because when people experience life change, we should be excited, which leads us to the fourth point. 
the excitement. Verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? He's ready to be baptized. The eunuch, he, he's ready. He, he's like, okay, let's, let's get this done. Let's dunk me. Here's some water. What's preventing me from, from being baptized? And Philip's like, nothing. Let's do this. Okay, at Redemption, we love baptisms. Okay, we make a big deal out of baptisms at our church. You might be new and wondering, hey, they don't do that altar call thing that my grandma's church did. Why don't, why don't they do that? Like, they don't bow their head, pray their prayers, walk the aisle, repeat after me. Redemption doesn't really do that. Now, it's not because there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but we just don't really do that here. And here, here's the reason why. It's because it's easy for people to raise their hands. It's hard for people to be able to live it out. See, anyone could just raise their hand. Okay, but walking it out, well, that requires some obedience. That requires some application to your life. That requires more than just a Sunday. That requires every day. And so here's what we do. We don't count hands raised. We count however many people we have to give them a towel. Okay, if, you, if you get a towel, okay, that's what we count. If you think back in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people who were baptized, they counted the people who needed towels. So here at Redemption, we, we, count, we count towels, okay? So we, we, we've given 90 people towels here in the history of our church. That's, that's incredible. That's exciting. And some of you, you're here and you're, you're, you're thinking, well, do I need to be baptized? If you're a Christian, yes. You, you do need to be baptized. Okay, I'm gonna say this, and I'm a little strong on this, and so, because I, I just want you to know, if you are a Christian and you have not been baptized, I lovingly wanna tell you, Something's wrong. There's something wrong in your beliefs about God and the scriptures if you think you can be a Christian and not, not be baptized. Now, baptism doesn't save us. Baptism actually shows the world that we have been saved, and it's an act of our obedience. This eunuch, he was baptized in like three minutes, right? He meets Jesus, and then he goes underwater. Like, that's basically how it worked, right? And he says, what prevents me from being baptized? The answer is nothing. Some of you are like, I don't really want to be baptized because I don't like people looking at me. Get over yourself. You're like, oh, I don't like getting wet. Okay, well, that's probably why we need to have a hygiene talk later. So like, you're like, oh, well, I don't want people to take my picture. Okay, so what? It's about letting people know. And you're like, no, no, I need to take a class. I need to go to Next Steps one more time. I gotta get some things in order in my life. And then maybe possibly next round, I'll be baptized. That's not what the eunuch does. Listen to the eunuch, he still works for the queen. Look at the eunuch. Where, where is he at? He's still in the middle of the desert. He's still castrated, and he still gets baptized. If nothing prevents him, then what prevents you? The answer is nothing. Sign up, get baptized, because we want you and us as a church to be excited. So here we see what happens next in verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stop. He's like, whoa, stop. I need to get baptized. And then they both went down into the water. They baptism, you go under the water. We believe in baptism by immersion here at the church. There's a good scripture that tells us exactly why. And then they came up out of the water and the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. You're like, that's interesting. What does that mean? That's Bible talk for teleportation. He's gone. Right, that's it. You go under the water, you come up, poof, beam me up, Jesus. Philip, he is out of there. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he began, as he passed through and preached the gospel to all towns until he came to Caesarea. Do you remember the moment that you were baptized? Do you remember the moment that you became a Christian? Do you remember how it felt? Do you remember when you gave your life to Jesus? Do you remember that moment whenever God saved you, whenever the Holy Spirit indwelled in you, you repented of your sins, confessed, you were new to the church, you served for the first time, you got into community group. Do you remember when you first became a Christian? Did you have joy? Yes. Did you have a passion? Did you have a, a fire? Was there something inside of you where you couldn't shut up about Jesus? You wanted everybody to know who Jesus is, what he's done for you. Do you remember the smile on your face, the joy in your heart as you stood in those waters, as you went public with your faith and you told the whole world that I'm with Jesus, I love Jesus, that I'm all about Jesus. Do you remember that passion? Do you remember that fire? Do you remember that excitement? Many of us, it's nothing more than just a memory, though. For many of us, we think back to that day, and it's just a memory. And we've lost 
that excitement. It says here that they go away rejoicing. They're happy. They're celebrating. They're they're excited about what God has done. And now here's here's, here's where I want to draw you in. I, I love you. But as I was praying this week, this thought convicted me. And so get ready. The reason we lose our excitement is because we forget we used to be the eunuch. The reason we fail to be evangelists is because we forget that we used to be the eunuch. You used to be far from God. You used to be bound in your sins. You used to have shame and guilt. You used to be the one who was lost. And then one day you stood in that water. You forget that you used to be the eunuch. The reason we struggle to share our faith, to be the evangelist, is because we forgot what it's like to be the eunuch. We've lost our excitement because the salvation we've received is no longer enough for us. The reason that we have such lack of excitement is because you forgot you used to be the eunuch. Do you remember what it was like for you to be far from God? Do you remember your situation? Do you remember your anxiety? Do you remember that depression? Do you remember that hopelessness, that lostness? Do you remember the rebellion in your heart? Do you remember the bitterness? Do you remember the anger? Do you remember your family and your children? Do you remember what it was like on the first day you walked into church and no one greeted you? Do you remember what it was like for you to be the eunuch? If you remember being a eunuch, then you will be excited to be an evangelist because you used to be the one. Told you it was convicting, amen? You used to be the one. And it says they were rejoicing. Our church needs excitement, which means we need to be that evangelist. Our church needs excitement which means we need more eunuchs. See, there's only two types of Christians. There's evangelists and there's eunuchs. That's it. We want to be a church that remembers that we used to be the one. And we want to be a church that goes and gets the one because God would do it all just for one. I remember when I was baptized, I was about 12 years ago, I stood in the water, made my profession. It was a great day. But you know what happened last week? A man in our church came up to me after our membership class, and he said, Pastor Byron, you've been telling everybody, go get your one. I'm your one. Because my heart was so hard before I came to church. And through the preaching of the word of God, you have opened up my heart. And I've experienced life change through Jesus, through the word of God. And I want to be your one. Now, I was happy at my baptism, but that gets me excited. That gets me passionate. That gets me fired up. That makes me excited because here's what it means. It means that life change comes through Jesus, but he uses people just like you to get it done. If we lose our passion and excitement, it's because we've forgotten what it's like to be that eunuch. So here's how the story closes. You think, that's incredible. He, he got his one. Well, what happened after this? Some of you are wondering what, what happened. And the Bible actually tells us a little bit about Philip's story in Acts chapter 20. We see that he goes back home. He's got four daughters. He loves Jesus. Just an ordinary guy used in mighty ways by God. Well, what about the evangelist? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us anything more about the evangelist, or or, or the eunuch, rather, um, but church history actually does. There's a church father in the 300s named Irenaeus, and he's writing through some church history, and as the church began to send missionaries out to Ethiopia, one thing that they discovered is that there were already churches there. They discovered that they were already practicing baptism and that people in Ethiopia, they already knew who Jesus was because the eunuch became the evangelist. And he went back home and he started telling people about Jesus. And he started telling people about what God had done in his life. And he actually became a pastor and he became a church planter. And he just began to lead other people to Jesus because the eunuch became the evangelist and he just told people who Jesus was and how he met Jesus and what he could do for him. And the church in Ethiopia, it began to grow. 
And you know what? The church in Ethiopia is still there to this very day. And they can trace their lineage and legacy all the way back through history to one man who met Jesus in the middle of a desert because one other man was faithful to obey the word of God. That's the eunuch. Never underestimate what God can do with one person. So what about, what about Caleb's story? I, I told you that they were very similar between the Ethiopian eunuch and, and my friend Kayla. If you want to throw that picture back up, what about Kayla's story? I mean, there's so many similarities. The way the, God, the, the word of God just, just was preached that day, the way that they didn't feel like they belonged together, the, the way that God orchestrated behind the scenes all of the events, it's really amazing. There's one more thing that really stands out to me. That's, that's, that's Kayla's baptism. Could you throw that picture back up on the screen? That's a picture of, of Kayla's baptism. And, and I want to show you, uh, on that Sunday, Kayla was baptized, but it didn't stop with Kayla. Because shortly after Kayla started coming, she actually had some friends who started coming. Here's a picture of another friend. It's her friend Becky. And then that Sunday, we got to baptize another friend, also named Becky. And then as we, we went through, here's what we saw. We saw her mom get baptized. We saw one of her cousins get baptized. There's a picture of her mom. Picture of one of her cousins. Her friend Ron got baptized. And then that atheist boyfriend, he got baptized too. And the last time we talked, we added it up. There's over 30 people who are in our church because one person met Jesus and her life was never the same again. Does he love everybody? Yes. But he also loves the one. Life change comes through Jesus, but it's for the one. It's for you. And never underestimate what God can do in your life. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a challenge. We're starting this series because I believe that God wants us all to reach our one. So on your seat, there's a card that says, you are invited. On this card, there's a little line on the bottom, and I want you to write the name of one person. And then I want you to put it in your wallet, to put it in your phone, and every single day this week, I want you to pray for one person. And then I want you to be the one for them. Go be the evangelist. And let's get excited. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.